You are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, a Final Fantasy 13 series game club podcast. This is episode six, covering chapters eight and nine, and I am your host, Chris Taylor, and with me is... Matt Marcus. Graham Marcuson. I'm still on him. All right, let's, uh, let's find out what the data log says happened last time. Colonel Roche, director of SICOM, explains the necessity of his actions to the Lysee, declaring that the Sanctums and the Falsee's decision to order the purge was anything but arbitrary. Had they not initiated such measures, he contends, and ignored the cries of the people, Cocoon's panic society would have torn itself apart. If Roche speaks the truth, then the Lysee's enemy is not the government, but millions of Cocoon civilians. Yet, even if this is so, they must somehow find a way to survive. Overcoming his desire for revenge, Hope sets out in a search of a new goal. Somewhere beyond the malasorm of hatred and the grasping will of the foul sea is the future they search for. Hope bids farewell to his father and boards the cavalry airship. Elsewhere, Zaz and Vanille are still on the run. The two fugitives wander aimlessly, riding the currents of fate to the doorstep of the City of Dreams. Saz and Vinal arrive in Nautilus, uh, to quote the data log, centered around the ever-popular Nautilus Park, the City of Dreams, essentially a giant fairground, built by the Sanctum for the amusement of cocoon citizens. Tourists visit from all corners of the world, keeping the city busy and bustling all year round. As of the boss battle last episode, we have a Crystarium expansion. Between chapters 8 and 9, every roll on each character gets one or two roll levels, bringing them all to level 3. Also, in the new Quake for this episode is Renew, which feels like it's on every roll for every character. It's a lot more useful, though. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely useful. Chapter 7 was really long, and you accumulate a lot of CP over the course of it. I didn't feel like I made a lot of progress on these new Crystariums uh, right out the gate. I was kind of surprised. Everything Saz has is so expensive. Mm-hmm. Saz and Fang like, cost 1200 yeah. instead of like 1000 so yeah, speaking of Saz, his Ravager gets a few more uh, just random elemental spells. His Synergist role has unlocked uh, Haste, as well as Boon and End Fire. Vanille's Saboteur role gets Imperil, which reduces the elemental affinities of enemies by one whole tier. She also gets Dispel, which destroys buffs. And she gets Raise for Medic, and Ravager gets more elemental skills. Yeah, um, Boon, like... Obviously, haste is the best buff because it speeds everyone up. Boon, what it does is whenever you put on a new buff on someone, all the buffs that they already have on will like reset their timer so they'll last longer. It's a, uh, a band-aid for how the auto battle for Synergist will say, I'm going to apply this buff to everybody one at a time, then go do the next one instead of just buffing up one character. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird that... Neil gets raised now uh, because you spend this entire chapter playing a Saz and there's only the two of them. And so if there's somebody for her to raise, you have lost. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's kind of weird. Whoops. Yeah. 
never thought of that. Before long, Saz and Vanille see a news report on the television. Although there's no reports that they've been captured, Sanctum is on to Lightning and the others. The two are worried, but Saz tries his best to be optimistic. There's a lot, when you run around here, there's a lot of good color commentary from the crowd to give you a sense of what the populace actually thinks, because from now, all we've had is it coming from the mouth of either a party member who has not been in the general population for a bit now, or a government official. Uh, this is a bit of a lost opportunity for them to actually further push the narrative that the government is just doing an authoritarian crackdown, because they're just, they basically say, we should string them all up. It's kind of a lost opportunity. Also, this is a, a- like a weird thing of mine, but like any time, you know, in a game or movie or anything where like you're seeing stuff that's supposed to be like news footage or surveillance footage, like some like comes up later. Uh, I like to kind of look at that and think about like, wait, hold on. Could like a news crew or a surveillance camera have actually gotten this footage? And mm-hmm. this footage on the wall here is just like directly from the FMV cutscene we saw last chapter. So, no, the news crew did not have a camera five feet away from Snow's fist. Wasn't that the same? I don't know if the the camera angles in that shot were the same ones that were on the video screens when Hope and Lightning get out of the Nutrisystem complex. Because, yeah, you're probably right that they just lifted it wholesale and didn't really think that that would be weird. But then again, they did have cameras on them from the gunships. Yeah, they do have cameras there, which maybe sets us up. But it's still like the the actual angles, like like the low angles. You see yeah. cameras around. I'm pretty sure you don't see cameras in the angles that they, uh, like, cause they show, they, they specifically show the shot, like the, the shot where snow first comes in and he like punches the guard and fangs there too. Like, I'm pretty sure there isn't a camera there. It'd be very strange if there was. That's how you know, this is fantasy America because the cameras didn't show the two like blue ladies hooking up. <laughs> it's okay to show them, blo- sh- to show a bunch of people getting punched. Can't have these blue ladies. <laughs> They go see the Pomptum Sancta Parade, which depicts the War of Transgression. An evil Lassie from Pulse attacks Cocoon, and a good Cocoon Lassie defends it. The evil Lassie turns into a monster reminiscent of Ragnarok, and the Cocoon Lassie slays it. And uh, there's a notable reaction from Vanille, who recognizes the Ragnarok stand-in here. This scene is like, ornate, but kind of dumb. Also, there's like a little carbuncle that shows up and they call it carbuncle. And it's like, you know, kind of what you expect from, you know, carbuncle. Mm-hmm. But there was another carbuncle last chapter that was just a falci and totally different. And I don't understand why there's two. Whoops. Well, you see, people who l- play this game played all of our other games. So we should just put all of the things from our other games into this game. Twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then they'll like it more. Oh, Yeah. No, I thought you were talking about the stupid giant robot in the sewers, not the doll on the girder. Oh, well, no, there is the doll, but also, like, the Falci in the sewers is named Carbuncle. That's what it's uh-huh. called. Thank God. Yeah, that's what they called it. Oh, no, it's even dumber than I thought it was. Yeah, the, the, the Falci <laughs> is named Carbuncle, and also they refer, they may not even say it, but the subtitles refer to this, like, little blue gremlin uh, Eidolon in this parade as Carbuncle. I like to imagine that the giant sewer robot turns into this on what it like punches out for the day. I like I think there's some relation between them. It's just never explained, I don't think. Yeah, like it could be like maybe the implication is that like Eidolons and Falci are connected, but 
unless there's a Shiva uh, fallacy later. Uh, that seems weird that this is the only place it comes up. They don't sell that plush where kids go. <laughs> also, all the uh, Eidolons are like modes of transportation. So I don't know what mode like you see what Ifrit in this uh, in here. Like you see other you know, notable staples. However, they're not, you know, cars or motorcycles or something. So but it's also I, I found this uh, little cutscene interesting, too, because it's clearly to me, best of my understanding, it's very much a takeoff of no theater, especially the uh, the evil guy. I know that's probably where they got that inspiration from, but the fact they put it in here is and in this flavor is pretty interesting to me. And they call it a parade, and it's not really a parade. It's really just a, like a like a show. That's a really shitty parade. No one goes anywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's not like Final Fantasy VIII when there was uh, an actual parade and people were doing the thriller dance. Pink Eidolons on parade. <laughs> I, I, I almost started singing the riff. I was very tempted to sing the riff. And I'm like, don't do that. That sounds dumb. It's going to sound real bad. Uh, but after the parade, Saz and Vanille head to the Chocobo Park. Saz tells Vanille that he promised Dodge to take him there to see the Chocobos. And if he can't take Dodge there to see them, at least he can tell him about it. Saz has this line that's like, uh, let's just forget about that. And maybe this, uh, and he's pointing at his brand, will fade away. I think that's really interesting. And that's just like another one of those really good ideas that they bring up and then do nothing with, which is if there are more than one, let's see, with the same focus, why don't I just go fuck off and play slots for a week and hope it takes care of itself? Hmm, you got a point. Yeah, another good idea that no, they don't do anything with. Yeah, I don't know. If- I think this is a conversation where uh, I think Saz talks, talks wistful about his dead wife. And he says something to Vanille like, oh, do you have anyone special? And Vanille's like, no. And then Saz is like, oh, well, why not? You're 16. Oh, why aren't you married yet? Like, chill out, Saz. Jesus. Right. Then it cuts to, at that moment, a thousand people who ship Fang and Vanille's hearts break. And then it turns around and says, oh, I was lying. <laughs> in, a, in a voiceover. I mean, I'm pro-lesbians, but like, I'm pretty sure Fang is way too old for Vanille. What, by about 500 years? No, they're both, like, in their hundreds because of, like, the time skip, but, like, it's still kind of weird. Stasis time doesn't count. <laughs> also, Vanille has this, that narrates this line, I wanted to tell him everything, but I couldn't, which would be an okay line if instead, off immediately, she offers to, like, go with Saz to visit Dodge in the hospital because, like, hey, you, I completely victimized you and your dad. How's it going? <laughs> This chapter makes me very anti-Vanille. Yeah, I don't think I can agree with that because, like, uh, I feel like the thing that happened to Dodge doesn't read to me as, like, we're supposed to think it's Vanille's fault. And also, like, the way it reads to me is that, like, she genuinely feels bad about it, but, like, she just doesn't know how to deal with that. And she's dealing with it in kind of no good ways because, like, nobody in this game deals with their emotional problems properly, at least not until they, you know, have their character arc. Especially not women in a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. They don't deal with anything well at all. Mm. The Chocobo Park part is kind of weird. You get a minigame, a real lame minigame, where like the Chocobo chick hides and you have to find them. And I don't know if there's like a time limit on it, but you get a prize at the end of it. And I don't know if like finding the chick faster gives you better prizes. There's like a really goofy uh, on-the-nose like 
techno version of the Chocobo theme with extremely on the nose lyrics about finding Chocobos. Uh, it's so good. And I, yeah, and, and I appreciate it because it paves the way for Crazy Chocobo in, in thirteen two. Oh, we'll get to there. <laughs> oh man, I I'm gonna have so much fun splicing the music here. I was listening to that on my like on my flight to San Diego. I was listening to the soundtrack, and this Chocobo theme comes up, and it's just like, man, this is so goofy, but it's fun. What a mental image of Matt Marcus sitting in an airplane listening to the version of the this version of the Chocobo <laughs> theme song on like in his Apple iPod is the the next iPod commercial waiting to happen. <laughs> right as as I'm flying to a bachelor party weekend. <laughs> Just to make it even weirder. After the minigame, Zaz tells Vanille that he's planning on turning himself in. He knows he'll be executed, but he'll get to see Dodge one last time. Dodge is being held by Psycom. Vanille says she knows who's responsible for the Iridate Gorge incident that ended up making Dodge a lessee, and before she can say who they are, they are attacked by Sanctum. They flee into the mall, which is like the only dungeon part in this chapter. I actually really like this beat uh, on the whole. I, like, I think the there's a lot of wistful Saz in this chapter that I think works really well. Saz is kind of a plus, like top tier character for this game. I think in uh, all games, probably. Yeah, he's he's very good. Saz is very good, and like like his father complex works. It's a you know it is an effective uh, kind of character motivation, and this is also the first time Vanille does something that like it's like a dumb desperate thing to do, but. It's the first time I feel like, okay, I understand that Vanille kind of has this, like, abandonment complex after uh, Fang sent her away, and she is so desperate not to be alone again that she is going to do something, like, really reckless and shitty. When you say abandonment complex, that very effectively reframes Vanille for me, actually. Mm-hmm. After the scene, the mall is roaming with three kinds of enemies, core gunners, Orions, and Zwerg. Metrotroid? That is a very awkward name. It's legally distinct for Metroid. Yeah, yeah. they couldn't shorten it down to yeah. Metroid. Well, yeah. no, because they're Metroids, but in a Metro environment, you see? They could have, like, Metroid. But... If you kill them... Never mind. Nah. That was going to be very sad. Uh, the core gunners are pretty simple. Orion's I wonder go if they're down... weak to ice. What I was going to say is if uh. you kill them fast enough, you find out they're girls, but that's very sad. <laughs> Uh, uh, Orions are same as last chapter Uh, The Metrotroids though Have low health and aren't very powerful But sometimes you face them in large numbers Like there's that group of like Seven by the treasure that is very hard to beat They're very dangerous in large groups Uh, They do give a large amount of CP For an enemy dispatched so quickly Which uh, I had to take advantage of Because you were about to fight a Boss that I found very difficult There's a good number Of like fights in this chapter that are like large mobs of weak enemies. Uh, 
they're kind of tough for Sazen Vanille because your only real AoE option other than kind of the, the AoE magic is Sazen's Blitz. Uh, and like, for whatever reason, the auto battle just doesn't like to use kind of a, a AoE stuff as much as it should for these large groups. I had to kind of go into the ability menu and manually make it do Blitz, which to be fair might be because I had Saz loaded up on magic. Uh, so he just wanted to use Ruin. Well, the thing with the auto battle is that when you hit auto battle, you l- pick a target. It looks at where that enemy is right now, no matter how much ATB you have, then how many are around it right then. So if you hit auto battle before your bar is full, the one dude might be far away because he's meleeing you and then he's back in a crowd of six and you do four attacks. Or vice versa, where you pick a guy in a crowd and then he runs out and you just waste four AP on hitting the same guy once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, auto battle, if it had responded as your ATB charge, would be significantly better, and this and many other problems like it wouldn't be a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's some weirdness, like, it's a related problem, it doesn't come up here because you don't have a physical character right now, but, like, there's a thing that happens in this game with the uh, the Commando's launch ability, where... Sometimes if an enemy is like moving up or down when you kind of set out the attack, your commando will leap up in the air after them. They will move, and then unless you cancel out of it, they will just stay there and flail out the air for an entire ATP gauge. Okay. A lot of this game kind of feels like watching your characters play a character action game badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. That sums it up. Well, this leads into a boss fight with the Midlight Reaper. This is a, a sort of a crawling mech type enemy. It has a nerve gas attack that poisons the whole party, but it's not terribly dangerous. Once its HP starts to drop, it switches over into a charge attack mode that uses a powerful series of attacks that can kill the party if you're not being careful. This enemy has a lot of health. It's 100,000 HP, and you only have characters so this is going to be a long fight i definitely did not get four at least four or more stars on it and like the problem for me is that with those two characters as they are at this stage there isn't enough healing and damage mitigation to make the rhythm feel good so i feel like i you know even if i was keeping my buffs up and i was keeping this boss is weak to imperil what you really want to do is get imperil on it and then hit it i believe with the lightning attacks and that helped but I never got into a flow state in this fight, and I think it's mostly because I just felt like I always had to panic, switch to to healing, and then back. I'm, I don't remember this fight particularly well, uh, which I don't think I had that problem. From what I remember, I think this was kind of one of those fights where I just sort of did the thing in one. You know, I, I kind of build up a bit of a stagger maintenance with Commando, then I switched to Rav Rav, you know, switched back to Commando, brought out healing when I needed to. I don't know. I didn't have too much trouble with this boss. I just use a lot of buffs and debuffs. I don't think Imperil is really important because, like, the boss is already weak to, like, ice and fire, I think. So, like, if you're just using that... It, it makes the yeah, chain gauge build faster, I think. Really? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I, I made sure to upgrade uh, Saz and Veal's weapons a bit, too, so maybe... Like having stronger weapons makes a difference here as well. It probably it did does. because I did not do that at all. Oh and yeah, that's right. Very difficult. I was upgrading uh, Vanille's Belladonna wand, so her magic attacks were pretty, pretty strong. 
Yeah, I had a uh, right now. Saz for me had the Deneb Duelers. He's still using those, and the Belladonna wand. But they were both level four or five. They they weren't very high. And I oh, I was using level one Procyons Ooh. and the Belladonna wand. So this fight was suffering. Ugh. I did it like six times. Hardest boss in the game. Belladonna wand was level thirteen for me. So I had like yeah. serious like magic power for Vanille. That's anyway, like extra forty points. That's that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. After the battle, Dodge just appears. Dodge has found his dad, and instantly he turns to Crystal. I thought that was the scene there is very excellent. Uh, Saz's facial animation is really good. You can see, like, he's freaked out by the fact his kid is here, but also super stoked, and I think it plays really well. And then he just gets absolutely crushed when his kid just turns into Crystal right there. And then you get the reveal that uh, Vanilla's in on what happened. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think pretty much everything about Saz and Dodge works. Like I said, Saz, like top to bottom, one of the strongest characters in this game and probably in the series, if we're being honest. Yeah, he doesn't get a lot of talk. I mean, even usually when people talk about 13, they just talk about Vanille and Lightning and and Hope and Snow. Like, Saz tends to, to fall through the cracks. But I, I remember really liking his character arc the first time I saw it and thought, like, why doesn't anybody talk about Saz? Because... They just there's nothing he's so good. more to say other than he's a good character. He has a bird in his hair. That's weird. I that hang weird. around a lot of like JRPG communities, or I used to, and like a lot of people who hated Final Fantasy 13 think that the only good character was Zaz. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely has the best batting average in terms of character mm-hmm. work. There, there may be a thing too where like the less you are interested in like JRPG high melodrama generally the more likely yeah. you are to appreciate Saz's, uh, you know, slightly different perspective and, and more down-to-earth persona. Yeah. What if Saz had a sense of duty and that was his only character trait and he was a good character like Steiner, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the one thing about this scene that confused me is that when Dodge turns to Crystal, he looks very different than Sarah did when she turned into, you know, went to Crystal Stasis. You know, he looks like he's frozen in a block of ice. And I forget if this is a plot-relevant difference or if it's just sloppy work by, by Square Enix. Because Sarah, when she turned to Crystal, she just looked like she completely turned into a statue of Crystal. And, you know, we'll see in a flashback later, you'll see Vanille coming out of Crystal Stasis, and it looks like the same thing with Sarah. Yeah, I, I don't know if, yeah, having Dodge just be, like, still you know, looks like a person. He, he's not, you could still tell that it, it just, the transparency, it's a little weird. Yeah, it is different. Uh, on top of that, I, and I don't know if like, that could be a distinction between what happens when a pulseless C finishes their focus and when a sanctum foul C does. But I just think I have no idea. My only response to that is uh race baiting. So let's skip that. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I mean, my response was maybe it's so, when he on crystals, they don't have to do the thing they do with vanille later. But they don't have to do oh, the you don't wanna... thing they do with vanille later. So fuck that. Oh, why did they do oh, that? You don't want oh, lingering we'll shots we'll of Daja's butt. <laughs> <laughs> he really looks like a cabbage. Uh, all right, let's move on from this. Yeah. N- Nabot arrives and says Dodge had the ability to sense pulseless sea. Nabot shows Zaz a holographic recording of the pulseless sea trespassers at Rirude Gorge. 
Bang wanted to attack the Falsi Kujada, and the Falsi retaliated by making Daj a Lassi to defend him. Benil and Fang are to blame for Daj becoming a Lassi. Benil is so overcome by guilt she runs away. Nabot six Zaz on Vanille. You know what's weird about that, though, when you think about it? So there's a Falsi getting attacked by their enemy Lassi, and what it does is it just says, oh, this kid, go find some Lassi for me. It's not like they're standing next to you. Why? <laughs> I mean, I guess they could. Like, they probably couldn't give Dodge, like, the skills to kill things. But, yeah, like... That seems weird. like it's not a very useful skill, at least at the moment it would have been attacked. I will say real quick, I brought this up earlier, and it was like uh, maybe more of a borderline case there, because in that scene earlier uh, where we get the kind of, they, they stick the FMV footage on the wall, there are cameras and stuff around. This footage that we see is not surveillance footage. No. No, it's not. But anyway. Yeah, like Vanille runs off crying still with her skippy animations, and the colonel allows Zaz to go after her alone so she can see what happens when Lassie killed her own. Yeah, and both of those things are pretty dumb. Like, Vanille running away at this point doesn't, like, make any sense except in the most, like, broad, oh, she's so distraught, she's just running away without thinking about anything at all, and, like, that's not very satisfying. And then what the colonel does is, it's so dumb, it's not very well, like, it's poorly justified, and it is like supervillain don'ts list or whatever that thing is like right i mean it's like a classic supervillain bad move i mean the reason why they do this is that so they can have saz and vanille talk in privacy like that's what they really want to do and they just turn it into but what about the data i want the data and it's like what would you do with that i mean presumably you know sanctum falsies they can create lissy you probably had a lissy fight another lissy at some point like it just, yeah, like, what would you do with that information that you didn't already know from the Lassie fighting regular humans? You would make another Lassie parade. Mm. Or Eidolon parade, or whatever that thing is. Yeah, because we see a Lassie fighting a Lassie in the parade earlier. Scarecrow's around parade. I mean, that's a theatric depiction of it, but I don't know how much of that is, you know, smoke and mirrors kind of a thing, or if they're actually throwing real fireballs around. Can't be real fireballs, or it'd melt all the AOL CDs they're raining from the ceiling the whole time. <laughs> oh, God damn it, I forgot about that. There's a thousand CDs, and they're you get a hundred free minutes of internet, and you get a hundred free minutes of internet. And it's just fluttering, they're fluttering down in, like, in a way that's completely impossible. When Carbuncle the Eidolon, not to be confused with Carbuncle the Lassie, transforms, it doesn't turn into a vehicle, it just turns into an AOL CD. Oh, it transforms into an RJ45 connector? <laughs> <sighs> Before Zaz catches up with her, Vanille sees an image, uh, like a hallucination of Zaz that berates her and then shoots her. This scene definitely... Um... I don't know. This doesn't really work for me very well. Like, weird fake Tron says. I don't know why I wrote fake Tron says. Does he really look like he's yeah, purpley? Yeah, he, he, he looks okay. like some kind of weird holographic Because like I wrote this, like, a month ago, and I don't know what the deal is. All right. Yeah. It's to the point where, like, when I saw it, I sort of looked and was like, is Psycom, like, piping this image in as a hologram to fuck with her or something? What is this? Okay. Yeah, it's it's really random, and I don't think... I half wanted to give it the credit, like, maybe when Lassie get under a lot of pressure, these hallucinations happen. But, like, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I think they just wanted this scene to, to happen this way. 
Yeah, because a thing we didn't mention last chapter is that like this happens to Lightning with Sarah, and it happens later uh, with Snow with a Hope and his mom. Like this specific thing, like these hallucinations of other characters keep happening, and it mm. seems to be just that they don't have any other ideas how to portray it, like an internal conflict or an internal conversation. Right. But it, it's very strange. I, I kind of like this scene. I kind of like what Fake Evil Saz says to Vanilla. Like I, I think. Well, he tells her the truth, right? Yeah. That's why it works. It's the truth. Yeah, and in that way, it works as, like, it is an extermination. Yeah. Well, the alternative is, like, typical anime, like, inner monologue in italics, right? So, with with this scene, fake Tronsass just tells her the truth about everything, and then Vanille has this breakdown. It's supposed to be her hitting her emotional breaking point and crying, and that it doesn't land for me because the entirety of her character as presented, if it works for you or not, seems to hinge on whether you personally resonate with guilt. I don't, right? But even if I did, her guilt is kind of ridiculous. It's like not real, right? It's already been established you get pushed around by Fang. And realistically, if we really wanted to, everything could be either backported to mean robot gods or Fang's fault. So none of this really works at all, because even though you were there and involved, nothing's really your fault. Yeah, that that actually is kind of the thing that makes it work for me, I think. Like, it kind of, like, like it's hard to hold either of them responsible for what happened there, really, because, like, that's kind of the situation that Lassie exists in. Like, when we see that surveillance footage earlier, it's basically Fang saying, like, we're Pulse Lassie, we're here on Cocoon, we don't know what our focus is, let's just fuck shit up, because what else are we going to do? But, yeah, I know, it works for me because, like, because it feels like it isn't really Vanille's fault, but also I feel like I understand why she would feel guilty about it. And, like, like I said, this section is kind of the first time in the game where I feel like Vanille has an internal conflict in feelings that, like, make sense and track and feel more or less human to me. Yeah, I, I mean, like, it sounds, it, it almost gets into, like, a Nuremberg defense kind of a thing, though, where it's, like, the foul C made me do it, and I don't like the results of my actions, but I don't, I can, I totally understand the guilt. The guilt makes a lot of sense to me, even though ultimately the responsibility isn't his. It's the same problem, though, with, with Hope and Nora, with his mother, that he should really be mad at the Sanctum for, you know, blowing up the bridge. And, and, not... and Lightning does tell him that several times. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I guess it's easier to blame somebody you whose face you know, as opposed to, a, you know, a giant government conspiracy. Yeah. I wish they'd emphasize that, though, because if that's what they're going for, they don't sell it. Mm-mm. I think it's that they don't try to sell it early enough, because uh, Vanille, like, does a real, like, Tetis thing, where she's yeah. just super aggravating and upbeat, and then all of a sudden has a moment and has to completely pivot her whole character on a dime 20 hours into a game. Vanille suffers for her backstory being this, like, secret twist thing that they have to hide for 20 hours. Uh, You get cracks of it. Like, they have foreshadowed all the stuff with Vanille pretty heavily. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's like, oh, it's super obvious Vanille is from Pulse early on. But they're kind of trying, you know, they're still ostensibly keeping it a secret, so they can't really develop Vanille's character or, or show you past the facade except in brief cracks because they don't want you to know the information you would need to delve into that character yet. Yeah. And, okay, let's move on. Zaz yeah. catches up with Vanille, but cannot find it in him to shoot Vanille. They are both hopeless and clueless on what to do. Then an Eidolon pops out of Zaz. 
So now we are in another Eidolon fight with Brynhildr. In order to beat him, the player must feed the Gestalt Gauge by utilizing buffs and building the Jane Gauge by attacking. Brynhildr's attacks aren't super devastating, but at the same time, they do warrant attention, and you have to be careful or else you can wipe. The best way to win this fight is to load up Vanille and Saz with Haste and Frost and Vigilance and work up the Chain Gauge. And this fight was super tight for me. I think I finished this fight with like 83 on the clock. Ooh. Yeah, it was it was real tight. I think I was 300 on the Doom counter, so I still had some time, but it was pushing Yeah, you it. had a lot more time than I did. <laughs> I had like 500 because I Googled it because I have not changed my resolution, so I still have the bug where Libra is useless, so I just looked it up in advance. <laughs> I, oh, wait, is... Are you supposed to actually get information about what to do in these? Yeah, no, okay. Are you playing on the PC? There's a bug where if your resolution is a multiple of 1080, the Libra screen displays information in that giant empty block at the bottom. Oh, because like (laughs) I I have had no idea how to do any of these Eidolon fights. I have just kind of like been doing the thing and eventually winning at the very end somehow, but I don't really know how. Yeah, yeah, apparently there's also flavor about all the enemies in the game also. Right, yeah, that's all in the... That's really dumb. If you look at it, well, is, is it still a problem if you go into the data log, or is it just during battles, Chris? It's in the data log, too. Oh, Jesus, really? That's awful. Yeah, really? That's really bad. <laughs> no. So bad. Yeah, oh. there's... It, I thought so it was imagine just Imagine that giant gray box at the bottom that clearly is supposed to hold text that has nothing in it. Yeah, yeah. No, this one, you, you want to be, be buffing, and you want to be attacking. But it, you would only know that if your uh, data log is working correctly. <laughs> Hilariously, if you check the box that says don't show the launcher again, there's no way to undo that without uninstalling and reinstalling the game. So I'm just uh, doomed that way. So, I mean, the design of this guy, I like his design when he's just standing. He looks kind of, um, oh, who was it? Uh, Gilgamesh. He's got kind of a Gilgamesh vibe. But when he transforms, he turns into this really goofy roadster. Mm-hmm. All right. I got defense for the roadster. <laughs> it looks so bad in the cutscene, but have you summoned the roadster? Uh, not yet, no. Okay, I summoned it in chapter nine, which we're going to be talking about, because fuck the fight with two Flanborgs and two Flaniters when you have no upgrades for those characters. <laughs> and it looks really good in battle, actually. Uh, like, all the animations are really good. Mm-hmm. What if the snow light cycle where we hit you with our back tires instead was we just absolutely atomized you with tons of exhaust fire? It's really cool looking in battle, but it is the dumbest looking thing in the world in this cutscene. Right. I mean, there's something really weird about these scenes with the Eidolons, because what happens is, okay, so this Eidolon shows up, you fight it, then people hop onto it, uh-huh. and then the next second, they're just standing there. <laughs> like, when, when the battle is over and it cuts back to, like, whatever scene, they're just standing there like normal people, and then they get captured. It's like, what, what happened to the idol? It was right there. I'm so confused. Well, because they, they actually don't get captured right away here. Uh, you, you see that end of the scene a little later, but like, Saz does his Eidolon fight, and then he's like, well, I got my Eidolon, time to kill myself. Right, and that makes <laughs> absolutely no sense. Like, the the, the little yeah, narrative dissonance is so real here, because, it's, like... It's very strange. I I like this scene, honestly. Like, it's kind of a cool scene. Like, like the cinematography, like... like yeah, there was no like, you get a... 
the shadow. Yeah, yeah. You get a you get a lightning you get a lightning flash, and you see him holding the gun up in the shadow. Uh, yeah. Though I did check it out later. Hilariously, the gun is pointed at his afro and not his head. You <laughs> <laughs> so, wanted to make sure so, it, it looked good in silhouette. Or, or we wanted to make sure he hit the chick. It'll look really. <laughs> I'm so tired of this fucking bird. <laughs> It'll look. So the bird isn't even like his afro at the time. It, it'd be even better that when he hear here and pull the trigger, and then later on when we see the side view of him piloting the ship, there's just like a hole through his dew. Oh. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, him pointing out his afro does actually kind of square with what we know actually happens later, which also is like. Yeah, I, I like I like the scene itself, but also it's such a weird. They don't commit to that. Not at all. They don't. They don't commit at all. They're not even a little bit. They don't even try to pretend for a second that he actually killed himself. Well, uh, that's not entirely. Well, I mean, they they drag him out in what looks like a coffin, and there's a line that Nabat says something that sounds like he would be dead. But, but it, it is not convincing. None of that makes any sense because you you know he can't be dead. You just gave him his summon. Mm-hmm. Well. I mean, isn't that the best time to kill someone off? Like, wouldn't that just be a big middle finger to the player? Yeah. Like, give like a like give a character like all these upgrades. I mean, this isn't a Yoko Taro game. I could believe that they would kill him off because this is a Square Enix game, and they finally successfully executed a character plot beat. So, time to just put that character out of the game. <laughs> yeah, ah, I got I got Aerith's uh, ultimate limit break. There's no way they're gonna kill her. <laughs> oh my god! Exactly. <laughs> Pick them uh, down at the highest of highs. Yeah. All right. So, but that ends chapter eight. Uh, it, it ends with a uh, ends with a uh, assassin Daniel getting carted off by Psycom, and then the evil glasses lady turns to the camera and gives this knowing smile again, like staring dead straight into the camera, and it is very strange. What are you looking at? Don't forget, this is a video game. Yeah, I, I am very uncomfortable with the amount of cleavage they gave Nabot. Like, it's a lot of cleavage. It's like it's also in, like her suit. Like her suit is very skin tight. Yeah, it's, it's suit cleavage. Well, it's weird because like she's got a skin tight suit under her like suit suit, and then her suit suit has a ton of cleavage that shows you her skin tight undersuit. And also, the suit suit is still tight and has a tiny pocket on her boob. Like, what are you gonna put in there? It's weird. Oof. Yeah, it's she, bad. It's just not a great design. It's like they took Quistus and said, no, let's turn this up like three levels too high. What if this was dumber? <laughs> exactly. This chapter eight, now that it's over, felt a little short. Time for uh, an extremely long chapter. Oh the my death God. march that is chapter nine. Cue music. Lady looks at the camera. We uh, cut over to the Lindblum, the uh, flagship of uh, Sid Rayner and his cavalry, who I still have no idea who they are or why they exist. But on the ship, Lightning and the others watch a news report where Sanctum announces the capture and impending execution of Saz and Vanille. It's bait and they know it, but they're heading into the Sanctum flagship Palamecia anyway to save them because never in the history of fiction has anybody said, oh, that's a trap. Let's not do it. I don't know. Have you seen Cube? Hallmark of modern cinema? 
I saw it years ago, and no, you know what? This was that would have been much funnier if anyone besides me had seen Cube. <laughs> I read a plot summary of Cube on Wikipedia once, and it sounded dumb. Oh my god, dude! You gotta watch Cube. Cube is the best trash movie. <laughs> yeah, they made like three of them. The second one is called Cube Two: Colon Hyper Cube. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I heard the plot in that one's even even more dumb, like, in a good way, oh, though. Yeah. There's, like, the, the twist in it. The plot is they get trapped in a 5x5 five five cube of murder rooms. That's the plot. It's very Tomb of Horrors, that 5x5 five five cube. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Gary Gygax's cube. <laughs> we should have put a note in here, cube chat. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying... Is if we want to watch Cube on Netflix and record something over it, I would watch Cube that way. Hey man, we need Patreon uh, incentives. We go. That watches Chris's favorite trash horror movies. <laughs> uh, wait till we record our episode on Death Spa, Matt. Oh oh oh, that doesn't sound fun. What is that? It's good. It's better than Killer it's- Workout, that's for sure. I am not a horror guy. For the record, I am not a horror guy. Oh. A spa gets hit by lightning and becomes sentient to, and tries to kill everybody in it. Death spa, the spa that eats people. Oh my it, god. It's incredible. It's like uh, sometimes it's incredible. The, like the people die for like really unusual reasons. Like sometimes they'll just A shower like, kills somebody by throwing the tiles off the wall. Uh, we gotta cut this as Patreon bonus material. I know. Okay. I know, I know. I I'm definitely Keep not keeping this in the episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, you said it, right. so now you have to keep it in the episode. Ah, uh, damn, it. damn you it! Got me. You got me. No, we this, don't. This episode's going to be two on. and a half hours. Let's move on. Right, let's please. go. Okay, uh, Chris, I think that's you. Chapter's long enough without cube chat. <laughs> yes. I don't know. The part where we talk about it isn't long. Uh, after the cutscene, <laughs> the player can walk around. And- I wasn't trying to be ironic. After the cutscene, the player can walk around and talk to some characters uh, who have nothing to say, really. So is up for uh, using plans, heading into battle with a strategy, which is uh, a nice bit of character growth. Hope is scared about heading into the Sanctum, but he, uh, he says he'll be all right because of his comrades. The heroes arrive on the Palamecia, and there's a code red. Troops roll out. Dicely and Nabat are on the Palamecia. Anyway, the Palamecia has many new enemies, and some of them, uh, some of the first ones the player will meet are the Psycom Raiders, which are soldier-type enemies. They're not really special. The Psycom Infiltrators, which have devastating attacks and have the ability to heal and cure ailments of their comrades. There, there's a like a weird small, like, you, you climb up a thing at the very beginning here, and there's like a weird small platform where you have to press a button. I happened to like have to look away while I was on that weird small platform, so I got to discover that if you just hang out there, Fang and Hope will just kind of mill about going, huh, I don't understand. I feel like we're missing something. What do we do here? Really? <laughs> yeah, well, they're in like this three foot by three foot by three foot triangle. <laughs> yes. Uh, so after that, uh, the party goes outside to the external berths, which I always thought was a little weird that they were able to stand on a moving ship. Without being, like, blown over. I thought it was weird because all births are external births. It's the antimatter manipulation principle. But they don't have amps in their shoes. (laughs) Well, Matt, like you said to me when I complained about it, it's a principle, which means it can be implemented (laughs) however fits the plot. Uh, How do you like that? 
<laughs> it's a Mass Effect field. Uh, sure. Let's go with that. Uh, so outside, you're running around the outside of the ship. and Wait, they're, they're under no obligation <laughs> to the laws of physics? <laughs> God damn it! Uh, no rules. Par- parentheses of physics. You know what? This running gag is better than anything Nora actually does in the game. No, I know. It's really good. That's why I keep doing it. Uh, jeez. All right. So you're running around the outside of the ship. You fight a lot of deck drones, uh, and they're similar to the other drones-type enemies that you've seen before, that they have a tornado kick. It does a lot of damage. You run into a lot of them. There's actually a section where you, I think you fight eight at the same time, and it's pretty intense. They're, they are weak to slow, and I believe they're also weak to curse. So that's a couple of ways that you can get at them. They're also really weak to murder. They don't have a lot of hit points. No, yeah, you, you can, like, most of the time, if I didn't want to, like, spend too much time buffing or debuffing, I would just, you know, rush them down. Uh, and th- they'll come paired with other enemies, like uh, Psychom Dragoons, and later on we'll see them paired up with an upgraded version of the, the Orion called the Viking. Yeah. The most difficult thing about these things I found is that when they do their tornado kick, they will just stagger the fuck out of everybody. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, so, they eat your entire yeah. turn. So so when there's a lot of them around, that, that's when you kind of really need a fang and sentinel to just kind of soak the hits while you kill enough of them to move on. Actually, that backfired on me once, because one time I set up, I'm like, there's all these drones running around. They're all going to do tornado kick at the same time. Let's put fang in the sentinel roll. And she got obliterated because there were eight of them. <laughs> yeah, that, that's usually how it went for me. Uh, when I had fights against a lot of deck drones, I... Uh, immediately put Fang in a Sentinel and then let Lightning and Hope kill as many of them as they could until Fang inevitably died. Mm. Or you could just summon Odin, because Odin absolutely chews these motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Yeah, that costs uh, a resource. Oh, whatever! <laughs> it's not like you have any other resources to manage in this game. The uh, toughest battle in this part uh, is the fight against the four deck drones and a dragoon. The seven deck drones are later. Yeah, yeah, it's a later section. This whole chapter has a lot of enemy mix-ups, and these deck they're drones, good. They're, they're very good. And the deck drones are, are in the mix, notably. Yeah, there is too much combat in this chapter, but I think part of the reason why there's too much combat in this chapter is because they're finally saying, like, okay, we've mostly taken off the uh, training mills at this point. We're going to let you actually engage with this combat system, more mm-hmm. or less. Well, it's not, just, it's not just that, but this chapter has a boss that's really well designed and probably the absolute high point of this entire game. But because of how the boss phases work, it's not really just a thing where you can turn the numbers down, like in the case of phase one. So they also have like a minimum stat level they need to get you to, and it's really shitty. Right, but they could have just made the Crystarium give you more points or just not be as, you know... There was a way around that. That would be weird, and you would know something was coming up. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, we all know this is, I mean, this is definitely like, this chapter is like a second crescendo to the plot that sort of supersedes the one in in seven. But like, you know, it's building to something. Yeah, well, because you know that, because this chapter is like 25% of the length of everything that has come before it, almost. Yeah, yeah. So we cut back to Vanille and Saz, who is still alive. And then we flash back to his uh, supposed suicide where he couldn't do himself in and shot a hole in his afro. And uh, Nabat walks in and captures them both. 
In the present, Saz is hopeful that one day Dodge will wake up from his crystal sleep like Vanille did, and the two just generally make up. Also, Saz should be deaf. <laughs> he just shot a gun next to his head. He's oh, it's, you, it's fine. No, you want to talk about that? Let's talk about the part where the Eidolon shows up and Saz fires like right, yeah, seven shots with his gun right next to her ear. Vanille is deaf as fuck, which is why she has nothing to say. <laughs> She's a lissy. She's fine. Yeah, it's fine. They can fall 500 feet and have the world's best eardrums. <laughs> <laughs> Microphones are made of lissy. <laughs> This scene here uh, in the jail with Saz and Vanilla is one I noticed. Uh, if you look at Saz's brand kind of poking out from under his shirt, you can see a little bit of red there that wasn't there before. So his brand is like progressing. What happened in the, the previous mm. chapter took something of a toll on him. Yeah, it's like the start of the eye that's supposed to be in the middle. So like time is time is short for homeboy. Mm-hmm. So during this bit, there's a flashback to day one. We finally get to day one which is when Vanille and Fang awoke from their crystal sleep. She finds Fang, and through the narration explaining that Fang lost her memory, so Vanille took the opportunity to pretend to lose her memory as well. So this entire time, she's been playing dumb, but also with Fang specifically. More notably during this scene, as she's untransforming, the camera pans incredibly slowly over, like, nude vanilla as she uncrystals in a way that is so fucking excessive. It made me so happy my wife wasn't home to give me the dirtiest look. <laughs> and then she, like, Sailor Moon magics her clothes back on, and I don't understand why. Nothing. I was embarrassed why? by a video game. Like, is Vanille the only Lucita undress before turning to Crystal? Oh, that's even better that oh, she deliberately right. did it! <laughs> Like, we're ready to go into our final battle against Cocoon. Better take all this off. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense for it makes sense for Fang because, you know, spoilers, Fang, Fang became Ragnarok. Like, you know, she probably hulked out of her clothes and whatever. But like, yeah, Vanille, it doesn't make any sense at all. OK, now imagine how uncomfortable it is to ride a wyvern that way. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have gold bond? <laughs> it's magic and powered gold bond. The spoiler we just dropped might be the reason for this, but it kind of immediately stood out to me in this scene that Vanille wakes up and uncrystals and she is a crystal. Fang is not. Fang is just like sleeping on the ground like a dirt bag. Like a dirt bag! <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, which like that combined with her brand being weird definitely says to me that like they're signaling towards something being different about Fang as a Lassie, but I have no idea what that would be yet. It could be the thing oh. we just said though. It's the thing we just said. Yeah. Like, we know that's how the whole got in Cocoon. We knew they were enemies of Pulse and attacked Pulse previously. And Fang's the only person with a fucked up brand. Vanille doesn't even have her old brand. Like, we're not even spoiling the plot. Fang was Ragnarok. I mean, like, I think it, well, this is the chapter where that comes up anyway, right? Oh, spoilers for three hours of combat from now. <laughs> oh, whoops. Anyway, you take control of Lightning, Hope, and Fang. Snow's in the party, but you can't switch him in, so he's just kind of hanging out. They proceed through the hallways of the Palamecia. The player encounters raiders and huntresses. Uh, raiders are already troublesome foes capable of inflicting pain and fog, which are... Uh, pain prevents using physical attacks. Fog prevents magic attacks. Thank you. Yes. I lost one fight because Bang and Lightning were both pained, and then Lightning and Hope got fogged. Oh, and no. I was like... Welp. Rip. Can't do anything here. Yeah. 
I think the more dangerous foe are the Huntresses because they're melee class, but they buff themselves at the beginning of the battle with bravery, protect, shell, and haste. And they're really aggressive. They like to pummel the same character. Like, at least for me, you really want to prioritize these enemies. And Yeah, except for the one encounter where there's four infiltrators and you absolutely get obliterated if you oh, do yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have to go after yeah. the rocket guys first but like yeah, no I, I, not even no those are the ones with the heels in the weird like grenade launcher gun and uh, there's four of them and if you go for the huntress it just gets healed up and then they annihilate you because they hit for like 200 very quickly yeah my, my my order of operations was like i kind of build up for like i did i did infiltrators first then raiders then huntresses then the mm-hmm. uh the Viking robots when they're around. Yeah, I guess I like go for the guys with the with the guns, but usually I would dispel at least haste off of the uh, Huntresses first because so they're not putting so much pressure. Oh, I found they got interrupted constantly. So like mm. if you just hit them occasionally, they just lost their whole turn. Yeah, d- dispelling stuff didn't seem totally worth it here to me because it takes a long time and you don't really have a lot of control over uh, what Fang is dispelling. So like specifically just getting haste off seems like it'd be kind of fiddly and difficult. Uh, I mean, the way they stack their, uh, their buffs, haste is always last. And so the yeah. last one always goes off first. Yeah. I could see that being useful. Uh, yeah. My experience was that like, if I just did my normal thing and like staggered them up and then attacked them and killed them, they died quickly enough that they weren't a problem. Yeah. All right. So deeper into the crew corridors, a player encounters Viking enemies, which are big battle mechs similar to the Orions we fought earlier. They're not very dangerous. Their special attack thermal discharge deals moderate fire damage with a small AoE. It's basically like the Orions, except replace lightning damage for fire damage. And like the Orions, they only use it when they are low on health. They have a lot of HP, so taking them out with one stagger is challenging, but very possible. It's a lot more challenging when you do the thing I mentioned before, where your character flails in midair for a bit, because that definitely happened a few times with these guys. Right, like, my fights with these guys, the thing it taught me was it was worth not staying on Relentless Assault, which is two Ravagers and a Commando, for the entirety of a stagger. I was able to just kill the Viking in one stagger by basically building up meter until it hit around five to six hundred percent and then switch to aggression which is two um commandos and a ravager and i was able to like just narrowly beat it every single time so like these fights were really engaging for me they're pretty that's pretty much what i did yeah i, yeah. I was usually able to one uh kind of one cycle them by uh doing a uh, comrade and then swapping to com comrade yep yep I stayed as Ravager, but because of the Vikings' resistances specifically, Lightning would only alternate the uh, elemental physical attacks. So she did just as much damage as when she was a commando, but also increased the bar a lot. There was one encounter that I found very hard, which was a Viking and two Huntresses. And I only bring this up because we forgot to talk about how stupid the Huntresses look. Oh, they, is like yeah. the, the worst enemy design in this game. Yeah, they're very... Uh... You know, I'm thinking about, you know what they remind me of? My Final Fantasy of choice is Final Fantasy XIV. There is an early set of armor in Final Fantasy XIV that looks like some kind of weird, like, leather daddy outfit. Yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> I was going to exactly say. And what I, these things look like. You have no idea how disappointed I was when you said my Final Fantasy is and then didn't say leather daddies. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, so that's really morbid because it's your final one. Uh, <laughs> no. All right. Yeah, the Huntresses are not very, very good designs. They're they're good fights, but they're not very good. They're so dumb. Yeah. With the others causing such commotion, Psycom comes to Vanille and Zaz and move them to another part of the ship, but they get the upper hand on the Psycom soldiers, and Zaz and Vanille escape. Zaz's attitude has really changed. He's being very positive. Vanille and Zaz uh, fight their way through cargo access. There's just a bunch of Flanborgs and Flanborgs in here. Flanborgs are another variant of Flan that I, I don't even know what they do. I didn't notice that it wasn't anything particularly notable. Uh, they they have like uh, uh like vacuum tube looking. They thing. have a the medium damage electroshock. Yeah, electroshock. Oh right, right. Yeah. They have like the AOE dam. Right. So yeah. they do that. You know, you, you kill the flanators, you kill the flamborgs. It's not that difficult. And then you get to the end, and there's a little cutscene where uh, Vanille vows to save Fang this time around instead of vice versa. This is kind of a fun section. You've got like Saz's jazzy theme playing in the background the whole time. And it's just kind of fun. It's got, like, a, a nice... They went through a real crucible in that last chapter, and uh, this is them kind of like, no, you know what? We're, we're back on top. We're coming back around. We're going to chin up, and things are going to be good for us from now on. Thumbs up. It's cute. After that, we cut back to Lightning and her comrades. Explosions are heard. Fang thinks that Vanille is kicking up a commotion. Uh, Snow tries to intimidate Psycom soldiers so they run away and no one has to fight. But Lightning reminds him they are thinking they are protecting Cocoon against the dreadful enemy. Them. To be fair, they did just kill like a hundred soldiers. They owed a hundred soldiers. I want to talk about a giant movie about ants called Them. (laughs) (laughs) You're creating this entire new separate podcast thing. But Matt, it's Attack of the Deadly Mantis, but with giant ants and they run out of money in the middle. (laughs) Uh, Continue. (laughs) So... They're now in an area called the Rotary Shaft. The player encounters a few new enemies in this area, uh, like the Thermodons, which is another one of those armored armadillo-type enemies, which they kind of break the rule. uh, You can debuff it while its shell is still on, and I don't understand why that's the case. I didn't know that, so I never bothered doing it. Yeah, I did it because my Saboteur and my Synergist, I only have them on one paradigm, And so I'm always, if I want to buff myself, I'm also debuffing just as a matter of course. And I just noticed that the debuffs landed and I was very surprised. This actually really helps because you end up fighting these guys with Saz and Vanille and you really want to slow them. Or not slow. There's other ways you can debuff them. These guys can be, they have enough health that if you like get a sneak attack on them, Mm -hmm. it can be difficult to kill them within the duration of that stagger. This is where I learned that so Fang has a debuff called Curse, which makes it easier yep. to stagger an enemy. Mm-hmm. If an enemy has Curse on it... Does it make it easier to interrupt or stagger? 
so it makes it easier to interrupt them. It makes it okay. easier to unlock them. That's way more helpful than the other one. Yeah, uh, if you use it on an enemy that has been launched, it will like continue juggling them in the air even after the stagger bar runs out. So I managed to just kind of like sneak attack one of these guys and curse him and keep him stuck in the air until he died, and that was fun. There are like yeah so many dudes in this reactor room. There's at least at least fifteen groups of enemies. And uh, a lot. I killed all of them because I have no self-respect. I did it too. I killed most of them. So does that mean I have some self-respect? No, that means you have no <laughs> self-respect and are a quitter. All right. Some of these fights were real. Well, some of the fights were real marathons, like the fight against the three Vikings. That wasn't a hard fight, but it'd take a long time. I summoned for that, and like lightning didn't even Odin didn't even kill one of them. Yeah. like one of them got down to half health, and I'm like, what the fuck are you even doing, Odin? Yeah, and not only do you have uh, uh, Vikings, but you also have these uh, Vespid soldiers that uh, they they actually fucked me up pretty good a few times because they have both uh, was it uh, Aurora and Aroga, like, yeah, Aroga, excuse me, yeah, and they do so much damage, and if you have like two or three of them pull off a cyclone at the same time, you can die very quickly. Yeah, it's especially there's a few fights you can get into with uh, Sazen Vanille, where there's mm-hmm. like a bunch of these guys and. Those are rough. Yeah. Yeah, and there's Huntresses here, too, and there's other the Psycom guys. It, it's, a, it's a whole lot of mixes. But uh, it's really funny when you look at, like, the aggro range of the enemies, because I basically get, was able to get, like, a natural sneak attack on every single enemy in this room. And all you had to do was just stand a little ways away, and if, and if they happen to catch you, you just run back, like, 20 feet and just wait, and they turn around. Uh, yeah, it's not too hard. In the main room, like, it cuts to the main room where Nabot and Dicely are, and Nabot is having a panic attack because she can't figure out what code to assign the ship security team. So she even, like, tosses away her glasses, and, like, Dicely takes, like, just decrees that the Palamecia should enter code white, but, like, no context is given. Oh, what do you need context for? He says, we demand flexibility, so obviously you go with code white. Come on. Yeah, there's, like, these codes, these color alerts have been, like, a weird running gag all throughout this chapter. It goes uh, red, green, purple, and blue in that order. Yeah, it, it never makes any sense. And, like, it, it's played as a joke. Like, Nabat having this weird panic attack about which one to do makes it obvious that it's a joke. It just doesn't feel much like one, and I don't understand what the joke it's is. It's not very funny. Yeah. All I thought of the entire time was like the two months after 9-11 where every night the news said, we're at code orange now. Also, uh, mm-hmm. when Nabat throws her glasses away in this scene, she says, she has this line to her, she's just like, no, damn Lassie. And she just sounds so blasé about it, even though she is but, in the middle of smashing her glasses. She smashes them like twice. She throws them on the ground, she stomps them, and then at the end of the scene she crushes them in her hand? Uh, yeah, that was weird. Like, does she have multiple pairs? No, they're like no, they're like the Scooby Doo mask of glasses. Uh, well, that that's probably what she keeps in the boob pocket, I guess. Palamecia, primary engine bay. Let's go. All right. So yeah, we we uh swap back over to Assassin Vanille. They're going through the primary engine bay. You fight some stuff here, and then you reach the end of the area, and you just kind of go. There's not a lot to talk about here. No, other than that they seem really chill about the reactor, the thing that's keeping them aloft, losing power. 
Also, I'm like, at this point, I'm like, I'm ready for the chapter to end. And I was like, oh, the chapter will end soon. And uh, that didn't happen. I did. Nope. That did not happen at all. Or didn't. I definitely did the bare minimum to get all the treasures in this room. And like, okay, like one of the treasures is 300 gil. I was so fucking angry. <laughs> like, what's the point? I, I think the 300 gil treasures in the next section because I no, I mean, I'm one. pretty sure it's in this one. The next section has like, uh, like a 3,000 gil treasure, which is a um, lot better. Maybe, but even that's not really maybe. good. Yeah, the 300 gil one also requires you to beat a Vespid and a Thermodon as Saz and Vanil. So it takes like five minutes, and they're like, here's 300 gil, fucko, get out of here. It's a really hard fight. Ugh. Oh, wait, no, it's three Vespids. Yep. Jesus. I had to retry that one like five times. I mean, that's why you need haste. Haste really, really helps in that fight. Meanwhile, Lightning and friends are walking around on the top of the ship, and then the ship suddenly stops or slows down. And then you just fight what seems like the world's longest area, just full of nothing but Vespids, Dragoons, and the Vikings. Mm-hmm. There's probably some Huntresses in there, too. But it's a long room, and you fight a bunch of stuff. And It's so long. Uh, there was an, uh, an enemy party that was seven Vespids that I found pretty challenging. Like, this final part is just full of really tough enemies, really tough, you know, mixes of enemies that you've been fighting so far. Yeah. Eventually reach the end, and Saz and Vanille kind of bust through a wall. Or no, I think I yeah, think the boss the bust through a wall, and then Saz and Vanille come through the hole or something. Yes, that's what that's what happens. You, the boss comes in, you fight the boss, then Saz and Vanille come back. I think, and you fight the same boss. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds about right. This boss is the Kalavinka Striker. It's a, another one of those flying creatures that we fought as a boss several times earlier, but this time it has an attack called the Hellstorm Bolt. It's not a terribly hard fight. I was pretty surprised that it was it was like under two minutes for each round, but you, you know, you want to debuff because it's going to attack you quite a bit, so you want to slow it. After the battle, there's more talk about miracles and luck, like those things became themes all of a sudden, and as we mentioned, Vanillas has break through the wall and join the party. After the second battle, the party details their intentions to Saz and Vanille. They plan on taking down the Sanctum, and then Vanille and Fang capture a Wyvern used as a transport. Vanille takes her wand and, like, tosses it, like, the ends of it, like, what looks like a mile to grab this thing. It's it's very strange. There, there is also a really touching moment when Fang and Vanille embrace, and so it's the first time they've been together, at least since the beginning of the game, and it's sort of really selling the fact that, you know, these two really care for each other. So, uh, they, they capture this, uh, bird monster. Uh, they use it to fly up to where the Pope is, uh, and then they crash it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is where you finally are able to kind of select your party. You have to still have lightning in your party. You can't change your leader. It's always going to be lightning, which I actually did not know because as soon as they gave me the option, I immediately made my party lightning says vanille and regretted it, but did not change. Because, like, lightning was super swole, and I really wanted to haste and de-protect. I definitely went with just kept lightning, hope, and saz, which I will probably do for the rest of the game, because between them, they have all of your bases covered with some uh, doubling up on medic if you need it. And same thing with Ravager and Commando, so you just have all forms of DPS comps that you could want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at this point, I just stuck with lightning, fang, and hope, because... That just was working really well for me. And they also had, like, the most upgraded weapons at this point. Oh, by the end of literally the next room, 
all three of them had level 25 weapons, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, for point of reference, for how long this room we're about to talk about is, I went in with a level 16 Gladius and level 1 for Hope and uh, Fang, and then came out with everyone having level 25 and maxed Crystariums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I switched in uh, Snow yeah, snow and Vanille. I am going to try and play the the rest of the game with Snow, Vanille, and Zaz, because usually I play with Light, Fang, and Hope. I just want to like try something new. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the bridge access. Yeah, tell me about this shit. The bridge access is a series of island-like platforms bound together by catwalk-like bridges that the player can summon with just pressing a button. This area has some of the toughest encounters yet of usually four or five enemies, including new enemies like the Psycom Destroyer and the Reaver. Destroyers are initially immobile, but after a while they use a series of deadly bazooka attacks that hit for heavy damage and stagger the heroes. Reavers utilize troubling debuffs and even use powerful rune magic. Let me tell you, uh, as someone who uh, went through this area without a tank in her party, you really need a tank for a lot of these fights. <laughs> yes, you do. Oh, dude, God help you if you, for, like, you get like tunnel visioned and miss that there's a guy with a bazooka because you are just... <laughs> It's not like just one. It's like five of them that each hit for like 500 damage. Yeah, like the enemy groups in this room, like they escalate super fast and there's so many variations of it. And like every one of those, like I'm looking at it from across the way and I'm like, oh, fuck. Now there's a Reaver and two rocket guys. What's going on here? I mean, credit that like all of these fights are definitely challenging, but they're manageable. The problem is that all of them are like four or five minute, you know, they're multi multi minute fights and there's a lot of them. Good news, Matt. If you get the treasures at the bottom of the room on your way back up, the room is so long they will have respawned and it is hard to get past them. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was definitely like seeing like two levels over behind me because I zigzagged and, and hit every encounter. But yeah, some of them definitely respond um, by the time I, I just went for the treasure spheres. I was an idiot. I went the whole way down one side, went back up, went over to the right side, went the whole way down the right side, came back up, and then went down the middle. So fuck me, I yep. guess. That's a terrible idea. Yeah, that's that's a that's a bad idea. I just I didn't went, know it would be terrible when I was doing it. I, I went down one side, then <laughs> walked over to the other side, then went up that side, and then went down the middle, which was also pretty bad. I listened to like an hour and a half podcast and still had not left this room. Yeah, this room is, it's a grind. I mean, you don't have to do everything. It's the room where you grind for this next boss. Yes, exactly. of the hallway of death. The heroes arrive at where Dicely and Nabot are waiting. 
Nabot steps up to take care of them, but Dicely decides it's time to take control of the situation and kills her and all of the other Sanctum people in the room with magic. The heroes assume that Dicely is a Lassie, but he is, in fact, actually a Falci, a Falci named Bartandalus. All right, that's what an underwhelming description. This is like, this scene goes from zero to 100 in seconds. So he starts out giving you an anime villain speech as a weird pope in a throne, and then he escalates into Mm -hmm. flying through the air while monologuing about the futility of your existence. Then he starts shooting (laughs) magic orbs, and then he turns into like an 80-foot-long robot jaguar wearing a headdress Mm -hmm. made out of angel faces. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I like to call him Barty McFly. (laughs) That's that's really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) yes it is like I know I'm supposed to yes and but no but (laughs) no but that's Uh, I've been waiting to make that joke for so long I bet you have I can tell (laughs) to be fair this is also like four hours like at this exact moment the uh we're chapter nine like then (laughs) at this exact moment like it was so weird to me to have a falsy just like straight up talking to me in anime villain speech form, because there was some mystery and ambiguity to the Falci, like, like there were these strange and knowable creatures, and then it turns out, no, these are very knowable creatures, and the thing to know about them is they give anime villain speeches about nihilism and shit. I feel like the only one that talks the whole time, right? Yeah, pretty much. He gets to just kind of monologue. Does Orphan speak? He's the only, like, anthropomorphic Falci, really. And he's a jaguar! <laughs> He's so big, his Uh, face is like three lightnings tall, at least. I I think it's a really cool design. That was a great fight. We'll talk about it. And and it's a good fight, except for one thing that fucked me up and wasted about 30 minutes of my time. Perfect. Well, uh, before we move on, I'd just like to say that, like, Nabot, she wasn't a great character, but I kind of don't like how she's just swatted away like a fly. I wanted her to be the villain of the story because, like, that would have been cool if, like, the villain of this Final Fantasy game turned out to be, like, a glasses lady scientist librarian villainess. To be fair, as we learn in about ten minutes, villains dying in this game doesn't mean nothing. (laughs) True. Also, we learn a very... If you have the cutscenes on in this... uh, If you have the subtitles on for these cutscenes, you learn that her name is Jill... Oh, yep, dude. with an H. J-I-H-L, Jill? Yep. <laughs> so make sure you pronounce the H. Jill. Also, I'm kind of glad she's not the villain, because, oh my god, dude, the only thing we know about her is she gives up a shore win for the data and is very obsessed with color codes. <laughs> the low-rent Bayonetta. Yeah. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Dude, subtitles on is a real pro tip, because, like, Roche's first name is Yog, Y-A-A-G, there are a lot of re- there are a lot of really bad names in this game. It's Turkish. No, it's not. Is it? <laughs> it's Final Fantasy, is what it is. A na- hey, all I'm saying is a name can be ethnic, but still be a bad name. Okay. <laughs> Home stretch here. I'm still waiting for uh, Biggs and Wedge to show up. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> so uh, we've got the boss battle here. You're fighting Barthandalus. He turns into a giant, multi-faced jaguar man. It's another multi-phase battle. During the first phase, the main body of him is invincible. And he's got kind of four kind of add-ons. So they're like two pauldrons, one on each side and two some other word. But there's four add-on things, like uh, kind of like the boss of Chapter 7. Yeah, they look like the faces uh, that the angels have in Bayonetta. Yeah. 
Each of the add-ons, apparently they are pauldrons and alettes, each one of them casts magic. I believe they each cast a different type of magic and also absorb that type of magic. Yep. Yeah, and it's a pro move to use a Libroscope here just to avoid, like, wasting turns on getting things absorbed. Yeah. And every time you kill one of the add-ons, Barthandalus kind of buffs himself and upgrades the magic power of the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Once you take all four of those down, Barthandalus kind of stands up, you know, he powers up, you, you're in the real fight with the middle. He starts using attacks with names like Baptism and Ruin, Ruinga, which are just kind of like heavy magic damage. He has a, an attack called Thanatosian Smile, which is a, a laser attack that kind of hits your entire party. He's vulnerable to debuffs. It might take a couple tries to actually get them to proc, but it's worth doing. And that's about it. He's like a, he's a toughie, and you just got to hit him a bunch, and eventually he dies. Yeah, once you... Well, actually, that's not true. Yeah. That's not true. There, there's uh, another wrinkle. Yeah, once you uh, stagger him one time, uh, he'll start charging a move called Destrudo. After 20 seconds or so, he'll fire a series of high-damaging missiles that can uh, kill your party leader if you don't have a Sentinel active. Even if you do, actually. Huh? <laughs> what happened with me is that, like, I would... The first two times I, I did this fight, I tried to turtle up, so I had, like, two medics and a Sentinel, and I still died. Did you not have Protect and Shell up? I just had Protect and Shell up the whole I did. time. I and did. Ne- never took more than, like, 500. I did. The only way I could win was to make sure I was attacking so that not all the missiles hit at the same time. Oh, no, I just... De- like, I, some of them missed. I definitely yeah. just took these on the chin. Yeah, wow. I had... Uh, I had no Sentinel and no defensive debuffs, but this wound up being fairly manageable. Uh, I died once because I needed to cast Renew, but I took a wrong turn in the menu and wound up in my items. And I looked at my items like, what the fuck are these? I've never used these. What is this menu? I don't know where I am. And then I died. I had an incredibly easy time this time, but probably also because I was an asshole about the last room. First time I played this game, I definitely did this fight like four times and heard Lightning say Bartandalus enough that I'm pretty sure it's my activation phrase. Bartandalus! Like, yeah, I def- she, she has a lot of uh, unique voice lines for this fight, I noticed. Yeah, it did not get Manchurian Candidate this time, though. But while he's doing this uh, Destrudo, if you fill his chain gauge halfway, he'll stagger a bit and the charge will restart. And the next one will be much weaker. Oh, that's why I just took him on the chin all the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no. If you just take it, like, the first round, it wrecks you. I bet. Apparently, if this fight goes on for longer than 20 minutes, he'll cast Doom on the party leader. Over, I think this is a great fight. It's, like, best fight in the game, probably. Yeah, it's one of the best fights in the game. A real showcase of, like, how cool this game can be and how uh, great the battles can be. And also, I like his design. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you're a filthy min-maxer like me when he's uh, doing Thanatosian Smile, that's when you change your paradigm, because if your whole party's getting hurt, you skip the animation completely. <laughs> Speed strats. Yeah. Yeah, so I I enjoyed this fight a lot. I didn't enjoy having to do it three times, because getting through phase one three times is really boring. But it, I still think it's, it's definitely the best boss battle that we've seen, and it, it's probably not going to get topped for a long time, if ever. Unless you're going way deep into the uh, Titan Trials. After the battle, Bartandalus lives. He's still alive. And he's prattling on about Ragnarok and Orphan, the source of Cocoon's power. He wants the heroes to fulfill their duty and destroy Cocoon. And Snow brings out Sarah's tear to show Bartandalus that Sarah's focus was to save Cocoon. But Bartandalus says that Sarah was meant to gather the six heroes so that they could fulfill their duty of destroying Cocoon. So he completely reshifts the perspective on 
the whole purpose of Sarah's focus. And this will really fuck Snow up. He definitely reacts to that. Right. This section is a big exposition dump, and it, it's probably the worst-paced part so far for me, because... Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's got... So, like, on the one hand, it is nice that our heroes have a specific long-term goal that they can work towards, and they have a way of, like, they know how to accomplish it, more or less, at least in theory. Mm-hmm. We haven't had that this entire game so far, and it has been kind of silly. But the way it comes out is, like, it is this long, absurd monologue, and the entire time... I'm sitting there wondering, like, why is he telling them this? What is his goal? What- didn't he just try to kill them? <laughs> yes, didn't, didn't he just try to, like, what? Like, why is he telling them how to fulfill their fo- their focus? Like, and then, to be fair, like, the characters explicitly raised that question at the start of the next chapter. Getting ahead of ourselves here? Yeah. Getting ahead of you guys. I think his plan, though, right, is tell them this, bet that they try to do it, the cocoon fallacy stops them, like, last time in the War of Transgression, and then they just have more authoritarian rule because the civilians just rely on them harder, right? I think there's a there is an explanation. I think it's much deeper in the game and it's even more confusing. So good. And I, I don't I don't even know if we should get we, right. we should not even get into it. No, because well, yeah, all we'll, I remember we'll about the last because it's for then. It's it's for when it comes Yeah, the up, last right? two chapters yeah. of this game are just a blur of nouns to me from last time I played. So Yeah, there, there's there's some subplot about how like the cocoon fallacy are trying to reach another plane of existence and they're using humans as a tool to do that, but they need cocoon nope, to be destroyed. Nope, that's to too stupid. We'll talk that. about it later. Like I said, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like I, it was dumb. on the wiki and I was like, what the fuck is that? Nope. Yep. Nope. All right. Okay. Uh, the heroes escape on some airship. Roche tracks them down. Hey, he's still alive with the intent of destroying them. And then there's a dog fight, but the hero's ship is on autopilot. After losing Rosh, they fly right into an Eden building, and that's where the chapter ends. Right. We're finally free, but I have to take a moment to say, Rosh died very dramatically and on screen, and now he's just back! Yeah, why could you don't understand. Well, you see, the only thing we know about Rosh is that he's hyper-competent. Oh, wait, that's not true. I have no <laughs> idea why they brought Rosh back. I think there, they had no to reason for it. because of the cuts, like the CGI cutscene that they had to use. Oh no! You know what it is? Is they couldn't come up with a better name than Yog, so they're like, "Fuck, get bring him back, bring him back." <laughs> but then, right. why did they show him getting killed before this? This whole scene, though, this whole scene sucks, and the reason why it sucks is because the whole like autopilot thing. This is explicitly. Parthandalus controlling the ship and saving them. It's the, it's not even a ship. It's his weird robot owl that turned into a plane. Oh shit, we yeah. forgot to talk about the Jason of the Argonauts owl or the Clash of Titans owl. <laughs> yeah, the owl's been Jesus hanging Christ. out. The owl's been there, but he hasn't been doing nothing. He's just been observing. Yeah, and it's just so random. Why? I don't know why he uh. needs to observe because they apparently have the world's best like CCTV, so... <laughs> well, with that, that brings chapter eight and nine to a close. Do we have any thoughts on chapters eight or nine? I feel like there's not much left to say. Yeah, I've God. gotten all yeah. out. I gotten all out over this podcast. I, I have, think it has some high highs, and I do like that it's really challenging. It just goes on for too long. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. it does. I mean, this really should have been closer to the 80% mark done if they were going to go this hard on this chapter rather than like the 60% mark. 
mark on the game. Mm-hmm. Oh no, are you telling? It's only thirteen. Are you telling me the other ones are longer? I mean, I just remember like I have my old saves, and I did a bit of like end game grinding, but it was definitely a sixty hour game. And my game clock right now, it, we're not even at pulse yet. So like, we have. I'm only about twenty three, twenty four hours in. Like, I'm expecting right. Chapter 11 to be, like, three episodes. My play clock is, like, 20 hours. Mine's very yeah. long because I leave it idling all the time. So I have no mm-hmm. idea how long I've been playing the game, which is perfect. Yeah, but this chapter this chapter was, like, a four-hour chapter. Yeah, nine, this, number this nine chapter was. is, like, if, if you're me, it is, like, 25% of the entire rest of the game so far. Mm-hmm. Don't be like me. You can email the show at contact at lightning strikes thrice.com or use our contact form on the website lightningstrikesthrice.com also we're on twitter at lightxthrice facebook also lightxthrice you can listen to my other podcast magmar sucks it's much better it's only three minutes long sometimes uh do you guys have anything to share with the listeners no but i i I would like to uh Thank Autumn for for guesting on these last two episodes. I am so sorry. It normally only takes two hours to record two of these, <laughs> not four hours. True. I was going to hang out with my girlfriend, but we're doing this instead. But that's fine. No, it's, uh, it, it's been fun. Well, lightning. Th- well, I called you lightning. I'm so tired. I'm glad. Well, Autumn, it's okay. It's it worked out because you have no obligations. So, <laughs> see, lightning is a good name for me because we're both lesbians. Hashtag mm. canon. Mm. I believe it. Uh, anyway, Graham is doing a Let's Play of New Threat, a gameplay mod for Final Fantasy VII. It's a challenge mod that just reaffirms like uh, what that game is about. It makes it a really interesting and engaging experience. Uh, and I've been going through it and enjoying myself. It's been a lot of fun. Yep. I have a Tumblr. It's at a weirdautumn.tumblr.com. Uh, it's one word, weird, spelt with a Y, because I really needed to shave off that other character. I post writing there occasionally when I manage to write something. If you're lucky, by the time this comes up, I will have managed to spin out a side blog specifically for that. And there will be a little link at, up at the top. You can click for that so you don't have to scroll through all my great blogs of fairy art. But yeah, that's all. And uh, nothing nothing else for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. See you around. Bye. Good night. This podcast was brought to you by the Pitch Drop Podcast Network. Like what you just heard? Support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pitch drop. And while you're at it, check out pitchdrop.net for more of this and other shows.